Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. He came for his people. And Lord, I pray that we would be a thankful, grateful, and humble people before you. We are the recipients of great blessing. Kings and rulers of this earth, princes and presidents, Lord, they do not have even an ounce of the privilege we enjoy as sons and daughters of the living God. Please, Lord, impress your word, your truth, your glory upon us this morning so that we might be able to say, Lord, as we leave, Christ is all in all. Help me to preach, Lord, and help us to hear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's good to see you all this morning. And I've been looking forward to being with you all today. It's uh, wonderful to be able to meet together on Christmas morning. Um, it wasn't always like that for me. I remember as a child, I was always disappointed when Christmas came on a Sunday because it meant delay. <laughs> and uh, there are lots of children here, and I'm sure some of them can relate. There are gifts waiting for you at home. Some of them have been, uh, you've opened the paper, but you haven't even taken it out of the box yet, and uh, the wait's killing you, isn't it? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. Now, I remember what it's like to be a kid and, uh, on Christmas morning and have to leave the presents behind until after church, but uh, you know what? Now, I love it when Christmas falls on a Sunday. It's one of my favorite things where we get to meet together as a church on December 25th and celebrate the coming of the Lord together. It, uh, it puts an eternal perspective over the whole day. You know, most people, if you were to take a survey and ask them what Christmas is all about, I think most people would say, well, the point of Christmas is time with family. That's what it's all about. Well, guess what? We're a family here as a church, and in 200 years... We'll still be a family as a church, and spending time together here this morning is a great way to remind ourselves of that. We are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in Christ. And we have time together today with our eternal family. But that would be number one in the survey, family. And I would guess the second place in the survey would probably be Christmas is a time of celebration and for parties. But... What are they celebrating, if not the birth of Christ? Celebration for celebration's sake? Celebration for a vague hope in the future that may or may not materialize? That's, that's hollow. No, it's, it's the incarnation we remember, and it's Christ who we celebrate. And what better way to celebrate Him than by those who believe in Him worshiping together? Meeting here this morning is the best way to celebrate the coming of Christ. And still others might say the main thing is the presence. And don't kid yourselves. There's some adults here just itching to get home more than the children are. And for some people, as much as they would never admit it, what they look forward to more than anything 
are the gifts. And that's fine, so long as you remember to do it all to the glory of God and don't lose sight of Him. That's a challenge, isn't it? You know, better to have no gifts at all than for them to become nothing but distractions that turn our minds only away from the Christ we worship on this day. You know, some people wonder, is it even uh, right to give gifts? Should we do it? Well, yes, you should. If you want to imitate your gift-giving God who gives liberally and without restraint all things that are for our good. Now, we know God has given us His Holy Spirit as a gift. We know He gives us spiritual gifts. We know grace is a gift and faith is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. And Christ, the atonement, is the greatest gift of all. But sometimes it's difficult to remember that, isn't it? And that's one of the challenges I think all Christians face at Christmas. Keeping the focus on Christ. And it's a bit strange when you think about it. A little bit ironic, isn't it? You actually have to work at it if you want to turn the spotlight on the Lord Jesus. There's so many things that can turn our attention to the left or to the right. And there's so much busy work and so much preparation and so much activity. And we're like Martha. We're anxious about many things, but not necessarily the better things. And I think meeting together on Christmas morning for worship really puts us all in a good frame of mind to celebrate Christmas. It interrupts all of our plans and traditions, puts a pause on the presence. We have to adjust our day. We have to make concessions. And it's all done in order to meet with God's people and worship the Lord. And I can't think of a better way to keep the focus on Christ than this. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to focus our attention on Him. And we're going to do something a little different than usual. So in, instead of being in one passage in particular, we're actually only going to look at two words. These two words come up over and over and over again in many various places. And we'll be touching on a lot of verses. And you don't have to turn to them all. In fact, you probably wouldn't be able to turn to them all. So just sit and listen. And maybe if you're a note taker, write them down. But, but please pay attention to the importance of these two words. And you say, well, what are they? Of course, they're the two words used most often in the Bible to describe the Christian. I know that's more of a hint than an answer. How does the Bible identify believers? If you were to ask a first century Christian or you were to ask an apostle, describe a Christian, how would they do it? Well, it wouldn't be with the word believer. It wouldn't be with you know, those who have faith. It wouldn't even be with the word Christian. It might surprise you, but the two words that the Bible uses over and over and over again to describe Christians are the words, in Christ. And this description is used by far and away many more times than the next runner-up. Christians are those who are in Christ. Now, maybe you think, I thought the Bible said Christ is in us. Well, that's true. And we often talk about Christ in us. We sing songs about Christ in us and how He dwells in us and how He works through us and how we are His temple. And it's right to speak that way. There are verses that say that. But far more frequently and much more importantly, we are described as those in Christ. And yet, how many of us really even know what that means? It's the number one way the New Testament believers and the apostles thought about themselves. 
It's the foremost way believers ought to think about themselves, and yet we aren't even exactly sure what it means. Short version of what that means is that every blessing, promise, and goodness that you have belongs to you only because you are in Christ, viewed as being in Christ and inseparable from Christ. And so if you want a reason and a motivation to keep your eyes focused and your mind engaged and your heart inflamed toward Him, not just on December 25th, but on December 26th and 27th and 28th and the, the 361 days that come after that, if you want a reason to be motivated to keep your eyes on Him, remember who you are and what you are in Christ. And if you search through the New Testament, you will quickly discover that everything that matters, everything you enjoy, everything you look forward to as a Christian is only available because God has taken you and placed you in His Son. And we're going to look at those passages this morning to be reminded together of who we are and what we have received in Him. And I'm going to uh, read them with minimal commentary. And I, and I want you really to feel the significance of those two words in Christ. To start, we are blessed in Christ. All the blessings given to Abraham, and you remember Abraham was uh, one of the first patriarchs in the Bible, the, the father of the faithful. In the Old Testament, he was given blessings, and his offspring were given blessings. All of those blessings belong to us in Christ. Galatians 3.14, so that in Christ, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. So that we receive the promised spirit through faith. You see the same thing in Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We are blessed, and the reason we are blessed is because we are in Christ. Later in that same chapter, verse 11, it was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ our Lord. The purposes of God for us are fulfilled because we are in Christ. Hebrews 3.14, for we have come to share in Christ. That's share in the blessedness of Christ. All of the blessings promised in the Old Testament, all of them are fulfilled by Christ and belong to us in Christ. And the greatest blessing is that we have been chosen in Christ. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, it's because you have been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, there it is again, blessed in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And when did this blessing happen? Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Or 2 Timothy 1 9. Him of Him who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Have you ever wondered, when was, when was God gracious to me? You put your finger on it. When did He do this? Was it the moment you believed? Was it the moment that you were born God was gracious to you? Was it when Christ died on the cross that God was gracious towards you? What does 2 Timothy 1.9 say? Grace was given to you in Christ before the ages began. Sometime before Genesis 
1, 1. God poured out His grace upon you in Christ. You know what that means? Before anything was made, God had a people in mind, a people who He would save and who He would redeem and pour out His love on, and He determined to do it by taking those people and placing them in His Son. You existed then in the mind of Christ before the ages began or the foundation of the world was laid. And because we are bound up wholly in Christ, we are loved and love in Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am sure, you know this passage, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're a Christian, do you know what it would take for God to stop loving you? In order for God to stop loving you, Christ would have to be ejected from heaven and hated by His heavenly Father. That's what would have to happen for God to stop loving you. Because He has taken you and placed you in His Son and all of the love that God the Father has for God the Son is yours because you are in Christ. 1 Timothy 1.14 And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ. 2 Timothy 1.13 Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 16.24 My love be with you all in Christ. We are loved in Christ and it is in Christ that we love others. So all the love that you have received from the Lord and from the church and all the love you have been able to give, all of it is because you are in Christ and it's His love in you and through you and upon you. And our faith is in Christ. Acts 24, 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Felix recognizes his face. Faith must be in Christ and nothing else. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith Working through love. Only faith in Christ. 2 Timothy 3.15 And how from childhood, Paul speaking to Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In these we see that Jesus is the object of our faith. But not only is He the object of our faith, He is the guarantor of our faith. We have faith in Him as we look toward Him, but our faith is also found and perfected in Him. And you say, what do you mean? Do you know what kind of people go to heaven? Only those who are perfectly faithful, who believe, whose hearts are never divided, who never doubt, those are the only ones who are ever acceptable before the Lord. But the only one who ever was faithful like that was Christ Jesus. And when a person believes in Christ, they don't just agree with Him. They do, but they are credited with the same unshakable faith that He had. So even if they waver or their faith grows weak, they are still secure because they are in Christ who is faithful forever. So when your faith wavers and you wonder, maybe I'll fall away, do you know the reason why you won't? It's because you are in Christ. And so we are called faithful in Christ. 
Ephesians 1.1, to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful, not faithful to Christ, who are faithful in Christ. Same thing in Colossians 1.2, we are faithful in Christ. We are justified in Christ. Romans 3.23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not accomplished by Christ Jesus, but in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Three times in this one verse, we are justified by faith in Christ. Philippians 3.9, you are righteous in Christ. Or Romans 1.8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who? For those who are in Christ. Our righteousness before God comes in Christ. We are righteous because we're in Christ. We're not condemned because we're in Christ. We are dead in Christ. Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Or in Galatians 2, 20. We have been crucified with Christ. One of the reasons why we're not condemned and we can rejoice in what we read in Romans 8.1 is because we have been crucified with Christ. We died in Christ. Our debt of sin was paid vicariously through Him and in Him. And because our debt of sin is paid, we will not die. Because we've already died in Christ, we will be raised in Christ. Ephesians 2.6 And raised us up. God raised us up in Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It means that when Jesus was raised, you were raised in Him. And when He ascended up into the heavens, you went up with Him. And in a, it's in present tense in this passage, isn't it? And because you are bound up in Christ, you are in some real and mysterious sense already there, alive in Christ. And we are alive in Christ. Romans 6.11 so also you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Or Romans 6.3, for the wages of sin is death. 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know why you have eternal life? Because Jesus Christ is eternal and you've been placed in Him. Saved, we're saved in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.10, we're forgiven in Christ. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. The only people who are forgiven are those who are forgiven by God in Christ. You've been brought near to God in Christ. Ephesians 2.13, we are victorious in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14, every spiritual victory you enjoy, you enjoy it in Christ. God is gracious towards us in Christ. Ephesians 2.7, so that in the coming age He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Same thing in 2 Timothy 2.1. God pours out His grace on us in Christ. We are free in Christ. Romans 8.2. Galatians 2.4. We have freedom in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.2. Do you know why you are becoming transformed by one degree of glory to the next and by being made holy and why you are being sanctified? Because you are placed in Christ, the perfectly holy one. We are mature in Christ. 
Colossians 1.28, no Christian comes to maturity on their own. It is in Christ by His work and strength and might. In 1 Peter 5.14, peace is given only to those who are in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Ephesians 1.12, 1 Peter 5.10, our hope for restoration, our hope for confirmation in Christ, strength and security. You want those things? They're found only in Him. We are encouraged and comforted in Christ. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, you can add in, in Christ, any comfort from love in Christ, any participation in the Spirit in Christ, any affection in Christ, any sympathy in Christ, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. All of those are in Christ. Our minds are guarded in Christ, Philippians 4, 7. We are refreshed in Christ, Philemon 1, 20. We are new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our good works are done in Christ, Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Every good work that you do, you know what makes it good? Not the work itself. The work itself probably is not good. How can it be with those of us with dirty hands and soiled hearts? Compile it. Every good work that you do is only good because it's done in Christ. It's for Him and His glory. And because you are in Him, your work can be called good. It's like a child who, who brings, his, uh, brings his mother a bunch of flowers that he picked and the stems are too long and the leaves are all over the place. Some of them are caked with mud. It looks awful. And they bring it to their father and say, Hey, can you give this to mom? I picked them for her. And he takes them and says, That looks pretty bad. But what does he do? He trims the stems. He cleans the flowers. He arranges them nicely and gives them to the mother and says, these are from your son. And they've been perfected. Jesus takes our works and perfects them so that they're acceptable to God. Our good works and good behavior are acceptable only in Christ. Wisdom and truth are in Christ. Ephesians 1.9 he makes known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. Romans 9.1 I am speaking the truth in Christ. We're made wise in Christ and because we're wise we speak in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.17 For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word but are men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God. We speak in Christ. Not we speak of Christ, or we speak about Christ, or we speak with Christ. We speak in Christ. Why? Speaking in Christ is more than speaking about Him and more than speaking of spiritual things. All of our conversation toward one another that encourages only encourages because it is carried out in Christ. If it convicts, it's because it's in Christ. If it inspires, it's because we are in Christ. If you understand spiritual things at all, it is because you are in Christ. We have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? You have the mind of Christ in Christ. The reason you can make a good decision. 
or a godly decision is not only because you have the word, but because you have been given the mind of Christ in Christ. Every time you apply the truth of Scripture in your life, the only reason you know how is because you are in Him. And we are one in Christ. Romans 12, 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Galatians 3, 26 and 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. True unity is only found in Christ. True family, family that survives the severing of death, it's found only in Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 15. And as a church, we are all bound together in Christ. Many of the letters in the New Testament end this way, but, but just consider the end of Romans. Romans chapter 16, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 times. Ten times believers are identified as those who are in Christ. We could go on and on and on and on. We have barely scratched the surface. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. And by the way, this list doesn't include the 44 other references to being in the Lord or the references to being in Jesus or the 100-plus references to being in Him. you understand what this means? If you are a believer, everything about you is bound up in Christ Jesus. You have been in Christ before, since before the foundations of the world. You are saved in Christ. You are secure in Christ. You are raised in Christ. And you will be in Christ for all of eternity. Every blessing you have and you enjoy comes in Christ. Even your good attitude. You ever, you ever get to the end of the day and you think, man, I've, I've behaved myself uh, as a Christian today very well. You've only been able to do that in Christ. Every sin you overcome is overcame in Christ. Every hope you look forward to is in Christ. Your life is in Christ. You live in Christ. And when you die, you are called the dead in Christ. Christ is everything. He is the only one who matters. And if you want to keep your attention on Him and live out what it means to be in Christ, let me give you just two points of application. There are plenty. We're just going to do two. One, all that you have, you have in Christ. He is everything. That's how the Scriptures describe Him, right? Everything you rejoice about, everything you look forward to, your sins gone, life to come, hope in heaven, all of it is purchased, earned, sacrificed for, and given to you because of Him. And, and, and it's not as though He took it like a gift down from heaven and, and brought it down and earned it and packaged it up and then took it and gave it to you and said, all of these things, that I give them to you and handed them over. All of those blessings belong to you because not that they were given to you, Christ took you and placed you in Himself. Every good thing you have in this life and in the life to come is on account of being in the Lord Jesus. So how do you respond? This is the application. How do you respond to this? The only thing that matters as a believer is that you are pleasing to Him. The only thing that matters is that you do what Christ 
requires. That's the only appropriate way to respond to and to live in the light of the truth that Christ is all in all. Every area of life, every decision that you make, in every word, in everything you do, do it all to the glory of the Lord Jesus. Whoever you are, your personality. Sometimes you hear people say, that's just who I am, take it or leave it. You can't say that if you're a Christian. You come to the Lord and say, whatever you say I'll keep and whatever you say no, it's gone. Your life is sifted according to Christ and His Word in any attitude or desire or habit or anything that does not agree with the Word, does not agree with being in Christ, it cannot agree with you. And so you purge your life of sin and you order your emotions according to the Word and you restrain yourself and you repent of sin and, and all of this you do it to the glory of the glorious Savior. That's the only appropriate response. And not only is it appropriate, it's a blessing in and of itself, isn't it? I mean, how many times have you ever disobeyed the Word of God and it's gone well for you? And yet, how many times have you ignored the Word and it's been to your own harm or to your own shame? Maybe you didn't want to do what the Bible calls you to do. Maybe it was to humble yourself and apologize and you said no. And it saved your pride but cost you a friendship. Or you lied to save face and it cost you a clear conscience which is more valuable than gold and silver. Now, living for Christ is a blessing. And the only person you have to worry about pleasing is Him. It's the most liberating thing, isn't it? Only having to please one person. How many of you feel like you're pulled in a million different directions, almost being torn apart? You've got to please this person and this person and that person and so many things. Isn't it wonderful to know that there's only one person you have to be concerned about? Just one? And that's a liberating thing to only have to answer one question. What does my Lord require of me? And then do it 100% of the time. You make that your goal, that will go well for you. That's how you respond. Because Christ is all, you bring every sphere of your life into subjection to the Lord Jesus. Second, point of application, your identity. Your identity is in Christ. You know, there's a lot of talk about identity these days. There's identity theft, identity confusion, identity guilt. Rather than discovering or inheriting an identity, people are inventing new ones for themselves out of thin air. In a way, the whole Western world is, is in a kind of a great identity crisis. Nobody knows who they are or even what they are. Now, what does it mean to be a human being? Who knows? People don't know where they came from and they don't know where they're going. They don't know what is right and they don't know what is wrong. Up is down, evil is good, good is evil, left is right. Words are meaningless, truth is relative, if it even exists at all. And people are left in a morass of confusion and chaos. It's taking its toll, isn't it? I mean, how many young men struggle to know even what a young man is or is supposed to be? A young woman, the same. The, the, the elderly, they feel like they have nothing left to do but die. The immigrant who has left everything behind and now is in a, in a foreign land and, and all of those markers that people would hang their identity on, they're not there anymore. Or maybe you're from a very difficult background or an abusive background and you don't have anything in your past to define you except what you know you don't want to be defined by. If you're in Christ... He is 
your identity. And He defines you more than anything else. More than your background. More than your nationality. More than your family history. And even more than your own thoughts about yourself. Good ones and bad ones. If you're a Christian, your heritage, it's found in Christ. It's found here in this. Do you want to know your history as a Christian? Here it is. It's a a family history book for you. His history becomes your history. You've been purchased from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, whoever they were, and you have a new name and a new identity and a new citizenship and are a new creation in Christ. And so if you want to know how to be a young man according to the identity you have in Christ, open up this book and it will tell you. You want to know how to be a young woman in Christ? Open up this book and you'll learn. You want to know how to be a parent in Christ? It will tell you. It tells you who you are and who you ought to be in Christ. Your past, maybe it was messed up and it wasn't what you wanted it to be. Did you know that you're a new creation in Christ? That's not your past, what you had. It's not anymore if you are in Him. Because when you came to Him, you inherited a wonderful legacy. Right? One of the faithful men and women throughout the ages. And you're not bound to who you were. You're new in Him. That's how God sees you. And because He is the only one worth pleasing, that is how you must see yourself in Christ. And listen, what good news this is to a people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. What good news this is for a people who are confused about just about everything. You can know who you are in Jesus. There is a sure footing and a security and a solid rock to fasten to in Him. Up until this point, I have been talking to Christians. I've been talking to those who know they are in Christ. And that's not all of you. Some of you, you're not Christians and you know it. You'd say so yourself. You're, you're only here because a family member invited you or a friend asked you to come. But if that's you here this morning and you're confused about the world around you and having an identity crisis of your own, you can receive this new identity in Him as well. That old identity, what you had, what you lived for your life, you put that behind you and have a new, become a new creation in Christ. Jesus says if anyone would come to Him, he must take up his cross and follow Him. Anyone who would come to Him must die to himself. And so if you've been made willing to die to yourself this morning and die to your aspirations and die to your old identity, the Bible calls the old man dead in sin, You want to inherit a new and lasting one? You're ready to confess your sins to Him and live for Him? Then you can come in faith and He will be your all in all. You can come and be forgiven and set free from the power of sin. You can come and have a new life and a new identity in Christ. Or you can continue in your own way, carving out your own destiny, living for yourself. Maybe some of you, you've determined to do that. Made up your mind. I'm going to cling to the world that is perishing. And you have, and you can, but you can't have both. You cannot have a worldly identity and an identity in Christ. You cannot serve sin and serve the living God. You cannot love the world and love the Lord. 
And so this Christmas morning, I would urge you not just to turn your focus and your attention to Christ and offer Him you know, a few songs and a, and a yearly pilgrimage to the pew of a church, but go to Him in faith for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life in Christ. Go to Him and give Him your all and surrender to Christ. Everything is about Him. And everything is to Him and for Him and from Him. He's the hub around which all of eternity spins. He's the reason for every good thing you have ever had. Every single person in this room, every good thing you have ever received has come to you because of Him. All good things come from Christ. He's our only hope for a lost and dying world. He is the light, the truth, the life, and the only Savior from God. And He alone is worthy of your life, your mind, your heart, your all. To give your life to God, it would be a preposterous thing for me to say to give your life to a man or to give your life for a government or to give your life to anything else besides the one who is worthy of it. Christ alone is worthy of your life, your love, your everything. Let us remember Him this morning and turn our eyes and our attention and our focus on Christ. And not only today, and not only tomorrow, but forevermore. The Lord be praised. Amen. Lord, thank You for placing us in Your Son. We are secure because we are in Him. All of the goodness we receive, we receive in Christ. We're blessed in Christ. We're loved in Christ. We're kept in Christ. We're faithful in Christ. We receive grace in Christ. We're chosen in Christ. You have placed us in Your Son. And Lord, what You have done, no one can undo. No one can pluck us out of Your hand. Because Lord, we're not only in Your hand, we're in Your Son. And for one of Your children, Your little lambs to fall away, Lord, Christ would have to be expulsed from heaven. We are secure in Him. And I pray, Lord, that You would give Your people a great confidence in Christ. That they would view themselves as in Christ so that You really would be there all in all. That they would be able to sing with all sincerity, all I have is Christ. And I pray for those here this morning who don't know You. Lord, I pray that they would come to You. That You would give them the grace to come. And that they would know the joy of being in Christ. The joy of forgiveness, Lord. And that You would strengthen them. Lord, it is not easy to be a Christian, but it is worth it. And I pray, Lord, that You would Strengthen your people and help us, Lord, in everything we do this day, the dinners, the gifts, the celebration, all of it would turn our hearts, Lord, towards you and your glory. It's in your name we pray and in your name we rejoice. Amen.